All right, so back to cutting room floor. Uh, we are still in Exodus. We, on Sunday, went through uh, some of the plagues, got to this idea of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. You kind of made a basic pitch to us uh, based on the text, and you kind of went through all the plagues and said, you know, this is kind of what I think is happening, mm-hmm. right? This sort of Romans 1 take sure. of Exodus. Maybe yeah. just sort of do a quick summary of that. Yeah, for sure. So like what I was basically trying to make the case as far as Pharaoh's hard heart goes is that generally speaking through the first half of the 10 plagues, Pharaoh is essentially choosing for himself to rebel and harden his heart against God. As Moses comes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh is making the, the choice, if you will, on his own to rebel and harden himself yep. against God. And you can see that textually as yeah, it builds as the, up. Yeah, as the plagues progress throughout and the... And then there's a pivot. There's a pivot. By the time you get to plague six, seven, there's this shift that begins to take place. And this really becomes clear in the last three, eight, yeah. nine, and ten, where it's directly the case where God explicitly is the one hardening yep. Pharaoh's heart. You made a comment on Sunday that like about Romans 1. Mm, Maybe yeah. you can just sort of like explain how that maybe relates sure. to that basic totally. understanding yeah, of yeah, for the sure. Exodus narrative that you were for just sure. describing. Yeah, right yeah. So Romans 1, Paul, is, is I was making reference to kind of a larger argument Paul is making about sort of like the nature of sin and ungodliness and human rebellion. And God's relationship and God's to relationship. humans who are sinful. Exactly, yeah. And so what Paul is talking about in Romans 1 is that, you know, as human beings are sort of making their choices, doing these things that are, you know, going against God's heart and God's design, there becomes a point where three times in Romans 1, Paul says God has handed them over to their desires. Basically... So God basically lets them. He had they have the freedom in Romans 1, the way Paul frames it. People have the freedom to sin. Mm -hmm. And Paul actually is saying that God isn't like the hardening as it relates to Exodus is God allows them to stay in those things, sure. which hardens them into those behaviors exactly. in a way. Yeah, Romans one twenty four. therefore God gave them up uh, to their hearts of impurity, to dishonoring, uh, and so on and so yeah. forth. So this language of giving them up is kind of what I was kind Got of re- referring to. Um, it kind of echoes, a, I think it's C.S. Lewis who originally said something to the effect of, you know, people will say to God, you know, I don't want your will to be done. And then at a certain point, God says to people as they keep disobeying, okay, yeah. your will be done. You can kind of have your, your way yeah. at a certain point. That's kind of the language of giving up. Yeah, if you that will. makes sense. Um, now, when we were just talking briefly this, this morning, you were talking about how, well, if you flip to Romans nine mm-hmm. and you do a cursory reading there, maybe you get a different picture. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what happens is interesting. So the Exodus story, you know, we kind of know this kind of is picked up all throughout the New Testament. Yep. And one of the places that Paul in particular talks about the Exodus story is in this very contested section of scripture, Romans nine through 11. And in particular in Romans nine, Paul is making a bunch of Old Testament references and he does reference Pharaoh and the Exodus story in particular, this, this motif of hardening uh, Pharaoh's heart. Hmm. Um, and it might be helpful if I just kind of read a couple of the verses here and you'll, you'll kind of see where, where I'm going with this. So again, this is a part of a, of a larger argument. Paul is kind of dealing with sort of this question of why is there a group of people within Israel that have not believed and trusted that Jesus is Israel's Messiah? Why has there been this group that, you know, for all the covenants and the promises and all the things that God has done in the Old Testament, why has Israel as a whole up until this point, as Paul's writing, not fully trusted and believed that Jesus is the promised Messiah that the prophets yeah. foretold. 
And so he's making this case that essentially their hearts have been hardened to a certain degree. And he kind of almost compares them to, to a certain degree to that of Pharaoh. So Romans 9, uh, 16, uh, Paul says, or 9, 17, Paul says this for scripture. Let me back up. Sorry. Verse 15 to give you some context for he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. Then verse 17, for the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason so that I might display my power in you and that my name may be, be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Hmm. Now, what Paul's doing there is he's essentially framing sort of what Israel in his first century context, kind of likening them to Pharaoh in this hmm. sort of moment. And to answer the question for his audience, you know, why are all of these Gentiles coming in and believing that Jesus is Israel's Messiah? Well, Paul says in verse 15 of Romans 9 that God is showing mercy on whom he will show mercy. This is God's right. This is prerogative. And I will show compassion. Again, verse 15 of chapter 9, I will show compassion on whom I will have compassion. So all of this is like the impetus and kind of the outflow and the foundation being um, God behind all of it. But then this quote from, or this verse in verse 17 is a quote back to the Exodus story in Exodus chapter 9 itself, where he, Paul says, refers to Pharaoh, that God raised Pharaoh up for this reason, to display his glory and power. And that he, essentially, Paul is saying, but you could read it like this, that the reason that Pharaoh's heart was hardened was because God was going to get glory through this. God wanted it that way. God wanted it that way. This was yeah. like God's intention, God's design. As yeah. it, almost as if you could maybe read into this that God is not giving Pharaoh the, the, the yeah. option or the choice yeah. to maybe He didn't turn really get repent. one through five. Exactly. Like, yeah, he didn't actually five, get those chances. Yeah, so it's sort of this. And I think this is often a way that we read chapter nine. It's this mm -hmm. sense of like, God is big. Yeah. God is powerful. God knows everything. Yeah. Like, human, like, step aside. You have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And while we do want to maintain for sure the, that we are that God is God and we are not totally. in that God is creator, we are creation, not trying to blur that at all. Yeah. There is, I think, a little bit more going on, especially because as you read through Romans 9 through 11, there is quote after quote from the Old Testament. Yeah. And it's really interesting. There's a you, lot of moving pieces a lot and a lot pieces. of scholars who have very different opinions. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, this 15 minute spiel is not going to solve <laughs> all those problems. <laughs> But what is interesting, though, is that Romans 9, verse 17 is, an, is a quote from Exodus 9, verse 16. So I just even think about that right now. Yeah. It's confusing. It's 9, 17 is quoting 9, 16 from okay. the book of Exodus. But what's interesting is that when you go back to Exodus chapter 9 and look at the very next verse, yep. 9, verse 17, right after, you know, God is saying about Pharaoh, I'm going to raise you up so that, you know, yep. basically harden your heart. You're my power. My glory is going to be displayed. Verse 17 of chapter 9 God says through Moses, you are still exalting yourself. Yeah. So you have this like play of God exalting, but in the actual text of Exodus, Pharaoh is self-exalting. Self-exalting, yeah. So you have this play, and this Paul would have known this. Like mm -hmm. Paul yeah. had memorized totally. all of the Exodus story. He knew it. Mm -hmm. So he knew what was coming next. Exactly. And yeah. often, often when Paul's doing a quote, he's doing this. He's saying something when you read it in let's say the letter mm -hmm. but then there's more going on when you actually go to the reference go to the, the actual reference i think this is kind of a good kind of at least for me tip as far as looking at how the new testament is using the old testament yeah. it's often not just those lines or it's that not the phrase text. exactly yeah. that there's a whole backstory going on here mm -hmm. and that paul is wanting to bring in the whole exodus narrative here yeah. and having this tension where in verse 16 of chapter 9 yes god is displaying his power and glory for sure one of the key motifs throughout the exodus story it occurs on numerous occasions that the whole point of god doing what he's doing is that so that israel and egypt know that god is god 
mm-hmm. that there is mo- this motif that God wants to be known and God wants to be in this relationship and that God is going to do what he's going to do so that Israel knows yeah. that a Yahweh is the one true God. And in a similar way here, God is raising up Pharaoh to a certain degree so that God may be displayed, that God's power might be displayed. Yeah. And at the same time, simultaneously, how is this going to happen? Well, Pharaoh is exalting himself. And in that process, well, yes, Pharaoh is responsible for his evil. This is his choice. He is doing the action here in verse 17 of Exodus 9 of exalting himself. That evil is not going to thwart God's plan to be made known to the children of Israel and to be proclaimed and that his name may be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, both of those, that tension is still going uh, through that whole sort of narrative there. So then if we take that, like you sort of gave a, a little more of a Romans one take mm-hmm. on the Exodus, how do you then incorporate this? Like, what yeah. do you have to say to us? For sure. Yeah. Well, I think it's important because there's another thing that's happening here in Romans nine, where Paul then immediately after this talks about basically where he says, referring to God, he's going to have mercy on whomever he has mercy and he will harden verse 18 of chapter nine. He will harden whoever, whoever he wills. And then Paul goes into this whole, mo- whole motif of talking about God being like a potter mm. and people being like clay. Yeah. And that's all an Old Testament reference, again, back to the prophets, in particular Jeremiah chapter 18. Yeah. Now, kind of again, similar to what I just did with the Exodus, going back to, to that, very quickly, when you go back to Jeremiah 18, when you see where Paul's quoting from, again, God being the potter, Israel's yep. the clay. Which God is clear is, power imbalance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's this clear power differential yeah. going on. God is the one with the authority and the power. Yeah. God is shaping and forming Israel. Yeah. And so in context, in Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah the prophet is talking about how if Israel does not turn from their, her sin, yeah. that there's going to be destruction to come. Mm-hmm. And that God is the one that's kind of shaping and over all of this, and he's forming and shaping Israel into this. But at the same time, he says in, in Jeremiah 18, that if Israel at any point or any nation at any point says that they're going to turn from their evil, even though God is like a potter who is shaping yeah. and, you know, you can use the, the language. The clay of, is animated. Exactly. The clay has an ability yeah. to, in a sense the language that Jeremiah uses about God, that God relents. It's yeah. the same word when used about humans changes his mind, yeah. which throws, you know, it's a whole conversation there, yeah. but God essentially as people turn and repent from their sin, God relents yeah. from, in this case, in Jeremiah 18, the disaster, the, the judgment yeah. that was foretold or to be brought One upon. One of the things them. I love about the scriptures is the complexity there mm-hmm. that like so often we think in either or, terms when it comes to the scriptures, but I feel like the scriptures are often both and. So it's sort of this like, is God big and the creator of all things and unbelievable like power and might and all these, and does he have like unbelievable control and influence? And at the same time, simultaneously, there's this speck of a creature who barely can survive, but by the grace of God. Yeah. And yet, this little tiny thing also has freedom yeah, on some sure. level to yeah. turn back. Exactly. And it's like both of these are there in the text. Exactly. Yeah. And I think what Paul is exploring through Romans 9 through 11, and really a lot of his writing encompasses this theme, is this tension of God is the one who is the sovereign king over all. He is the yeah. one who is guiding history to its ultimate climax, new heavens, new earth. And that yeah. through all of this, humans, they do evil. We do yeah. dumb stuff. But there's also this aspect that, yes, God is holy and righteous and good. But as humans, as we turn from doing all that dumb stuff that we do, there is this response that God has of compassion and forgiveness where, 
you know, our sin doesn't have to be the last word. Our, you know, dumb choices don't have to be the last word. But both for in the case of a missed opportunity with Pharaoh and in the case of Israel that Paul is saying now, you have a chance to experience God's mercy and compassion if you would turn. You have a chance to experience, you know, not God's judgment, but God's kindness. And that's, you know, again, going back to the earlier parts of Romans, Paul is saying God's kindness is what leads people to repentance. And so I think there's a lot of moving pieces here, but that's sort of the main takeaway that I have when I look at Paul's usage of the hardening the heart language, potter and the clay, the power dynamics going on here is that yes, the power and the authority, we say this when we, you know, quote the Lord's prayer, you know, all power and authority is yours. Yet at the same time in, in that relationship, there's a dynamic where when we turn from our sin, the response of God is to have compassion and grace and mercy in that. Yeah, it's good. So thanks, man. Yeah.